I'm Josh Troy of Frogstorm.com and The Maple, and you're listening to Radio 8 Ball with Andras Jones. Radio 8 Ball, give us a shake. We're here in the studio, tempting fate, Mm-mm. putting questions to the songs which we will randomly select. With the help of our friend Synchronicity And now it's time for The Radio 8 Ball Show Welcome to the Radio 8 Ball Show. I'm your host, Andras Jones, and this is the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions like picking musical tarot cards. This is Radio 8 Ball Season 3, The Appening. 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 Where we are engaging the pop oracle using the Radio 8 Ball app, which is filled with every song recorded in the history of Radio 8 Ball, as well as a couple of hundred of my own. I hope by now you've downloaded the Radio 8 Ball app if you're an iPhone user. It's free and it allows you to play host and conduct your own musical divinations just as we do on the show. The app also plays the latest podcast and selects the randomly chosen pop oracle song of the day. On last week's episode of Radio 8 Ball, Scott Weddle asked, Hey, Pop Oracle, how do we learn not to take things for granted? And received as his randomly chosen answer from the Pop Oracle before the show from my own Religious 99 EP. Oh, but if you must really get to know him, better wait until after the show Before we dive into this show, and in honor of Memorial Day, the holiday around which it was recorded, here's a Memorial Day song I put out on a CD called A Curmudgeon for All Seasons from the year 2000. It's called Flashback Barbecue. Flipping burgers for the family, yeah In my backyard circa 93, yeah When one of the burgers starts to talk to me It says, let my people go Whoa Well, my mind's ripped back To the days of violence That I spent upon those foreign islands When Plaintive voice one night it cracked the silence it said let my people go let my people go And 
By now the burgers have developed faces I remember from those far off places Every one of those faces they sense That my people go Oh, but what could I do? I mean, I had my orders I was responsible to headquarters They said the enemy was at the borders I could not let her people go And so we lined them up and we shot them down In the middle of that little town I hope they know I'm sorry I better get back to the party Standing there doing my deep breathing While all my relatives are frenzy feeding On the meat which keeps repeating Let my people go Let my people go And now that the visions have all subsided It's easier to think about what I did Just smoke a joint, sit back and shut my eyelids No more, no more, no more, no more Let my people go It seems the pop oracle has determined this to be a particularly me-heavy episode musically, so I invited someone who has known me and my music for 30 years. Josh Troy is an artist, a writer, and the host of the yearly Maypole Festival in Los Angeles that I have been performing at since they started. He's always been very supportive of me and my music, and he also knows a lot of the musicians I came up with, so I figured he'd be a good guy to provide some context for before the show. And uh, I guess in the interest of providing context, uh, for those of you who don't know my musical history, here is the briefest encapsulation I can muster. First of all, You may know me as an actor, or as the host of the show, or as a friend, or uh, as an annoyance, or you may not know me at all. I really only know myself as a songwriter, not even particularly as a musician. I've learned to play musical instruments the way an author learns to type, the guitar or the keyboard or the bass, whatever I'm plucking at to lubricate the song flow. 
is a tool for the creation of songs, even more than playing or performing them. Although I do love doing that as well when the conditions are right. Eventually, if you noodle around on the instruments long enough, you become a pretty good musician, even as you become more and more acutely aware of your own limitations in this regard. My point in all of this is that whatever you may like or dislike about me, the only thing I know I'm actually good at is writing songs. And interestingly, this is also the area where I have enjoyed the least demonstrable commercial success. So my confidence slash arrogance is probably delusional. And I've pretty much made peace with that. If you like these songs, and I like them, that's enough. And if you don't like them, hmm, that's still enough. My first professional band was The Boon. My songwriting partner was Josh Claytonfelt, with whom I attended high school in Massachusetts, and who followed me out to L.A. after visiting the summer after his freshman year at Brown. He and I recorded and put out a demo of our songs and started playing shows around L.A. in 1987 when we were in our late teens. I'll post a link to the demo that I've uploaded to Bandcamp. It's a time capsule. Uh, Not great, but definitely precocious. Josh would leave the band when my acting career started to take off and create conflicts. And he would go on to form the band School of Fish, uh, who had a fair amount of commercial success, particularly with their hit, the song Three Strange Days. As listeners of the show know, Josh died in January of 2000 while finishing what would become his posthumous album, Spirit Touches Ground. And I am eternally brokenhearted about all of this, and it probably informs my musical career or lack thereof in more ways than I can possibly know. After the breakup of The Boon and my songwriting partnership with Josh, I decided to put together a band that could not be broken up if someone decided to quit. Thus was born Mr. Jones and the Previous, a band that went through multiple permutations of some pretty serious players on the way to recording five albums between 1989 and 1996. These would be Mr. Jones and the Previous, The Wrong Side of Town, Mr. Jones and the Previous, Porch Music, Mr. Jones and the Fascists in Search of the Hundredth Monkey, Mr. Jones and the Hard Feelings, and what I think is our best record, the previous, Unpop. And there's a link to that album on Bandcamp, and I will post that in the show notes. Uh, Mr. J and the P, as we referred to ourselves in shorthand, had a kind of special status in the L.A. live scene of the early 90s, particularly among musicians who appreciated the virtuosity of my bandmates and, I guess, my own youthful charisma. I was a good-looking young kid who was in movies. The songs were smart and passionate, and I truly believed that a show was a life-or-death engagement thanks to the teachings of my own rock and roll avatars like Pete Townsend, Ricky Lee Jones, and Bruce Springsteen. I'll probably go into depth on the previous in a future episode when one of those songs comes up. Each of our albums has a pretty unique story, and it'll be cool to explore them as it feels right to do so. 
Um, after several years of extensive independent touring and releasing records, exhaustion, pregnant partners, and offers of better gigs from artists like Dan Byrne and Bob Wiseman, who were fans of the band, led to the end of the previous. But I continued to tour and record through the 90s and into the early aughts. I put out three five-song EPs, Cold, 98, Religious, 99, and Complicated, 00, and a full album of anti-holiday songs called A Curmudgeon for All Seasons with the help of Ricky Lee Jones and an ill-fated local label in Olympia called Great Big Island. I did two big national tours in 2000 and 2001, big in the sense that they were long and crossed vast distances, not in the sense of playing big venues or with big-name acts. The second of these tours began on September 1st, 2001, and the two months of this tour in support of a record that was highly critical of America during the aftermath of 9-11 was a lonely and stressful trip during which I finished the songs that would turn out to be my last record for a long time. I recorded All You Get with Ford Pier and some great Vancouver musicians in January of 2002 and wouldn't release it or anything else under my name until 2019 when this project finally came out. I've talked about All You Get at length in previous episodes of the show. In short, after recording the album, my wife left me, some more people died, and I lost all passion for anything but drinking and crying and hosting Radio 8 Ball for a long time. During these years, I tried to stop writing songs, but would always relapse when times would get tough enough, which they have a way of doing with unsurprising regularity. As we will explore in this episode, writing oneself away from one's life is the greatest gift a songwriter has. The ability to walk into a room with nothing, less than nothing, and walk out with a new prayer, a mantra, a spell, an affirmation, a friend. I've done this hundreds of times, and it always works. And I never know how or why. Sometimes I record the songs, and sometimes I just let them work on me like medicine and dissipate into the ether for some other songwriter to run with when the time is right. And that's where I am now, in the middle of yet another songwriting relapse. The endless hours of isolation and my frustration with my own impotence in the face of a world gone mad and tilting dangerously out of control is all the inspiration I need to let the songs flow and fill my hours with creation. I love doing these Radio 8 Ball shows and acting in movies and playing live gigs, but nothing feels as correct as when a song is working its way through me. These songs that are currently working on me will probably end up in the Radio 8 Ball app at some point with the hundreds of their neglected song baby siblings that are currently housed there. And that's my songwriting story. I don't begrudge anyone their commercial successes, and I hope you won't begrudge me the purity of my lack of commercial successes or of even trying to achieve them. There's something to be said for a catalog that exists entirely outside of, while remaining adjacent to, the demands of the marketplace. I must have wanted it this way. 
And maybe that's what the Pop Oracle is trying to remind me. And speaking of reminders, are you aware that you can download the app we use to do our musical divinations on the show? I mean, I'm pretty sure I've told you this, but it's free and you can get it from the iTunes App Store. Download it. It's full of all of the songs from the history of the show, including a bunch of my own that I've been talking about. And really, it's the only place you can find my songs and my catalog. And it's not even it's an entirety, but in its mass and uh, are all in one place. So uh, and it's surrounded by the music of some of the best songwriters I know, because those are the folks I've invited to be on the show over the years. So I don't know why you haven't downloaded it if you haven't. And speaking of things you haven't done, and I know you haven't, how come you haven't joined the Patreon campaign? It's a buck a month, and you get all the bonus episodes. And the bonus episodes is really just the second half of all of these episodes. Uh, I've decided rather than to make each episode our guest asking a question and me asking a question, I've decided to have some fun with these intros and let you all in a little bit. And then that extends the length, which means that my question becomes the bonus episode. And I gotta be honest, my questions have gotten better since I hid them a little bit. So I hope you come and find them. And if you do, I'll give you a shout out on the show. And since I'm not shouting anyone out on the show, it means that none of you have subscribed to it this week. So that doesn't hurt at all. Now, I've told you, and every podcast in the world tells you that the way to help people find us is to give us good ratings and reviews. I don't know. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't leave a lot of ratings and reviews for podcasts, so maybe I should. In fact, in fact, maybe that's what I'll do this week as a cause to try and maybe prime the pump here because... Damn, I keep asking you, and none of you are doing it. I mean, I know one of you out there is actually a writer. You could write a great little review, and I know you listen to the show all the time. Look at how pathetic this is. I'm actually singling out my 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 listeners for, uh, well, not shame, because I'm not mentioning their name, but you know who I'm talking to. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, if you haven't already, please don't forget to hit subscribe in your podcast app so you'll get our episodes as soon as they are released. And before we get down to digging into some synchronicity with this week's guest, let's do as we always do and kick off the musical divination with the Pop Oracle Song of the Day from the day I had my conversation with Josh Troy, which was May 21st, 2020. And it's another one of mine. And a really recent one, too. Recorded in Olympia, Washington in 2018 with Scott Taylor, Skylar Blake, and Peter David Connolly and intended for my next record, here's my song... Record store. Six to eight, we would 
21st, 2020, hanging out with my good and old friend Josh Troy here as the first guest being asked to be on the show when one of my songs comes up as the answer in last week's episode. Welcome to Radio 8 Ball for the first time, Josh. I can't believe this is the first time you've done Radio 8 Ball. Wow. Thank you, Andras. Well, it's great to be here. And Yes, I am an old friend, getting older all the time. But yes, I am also uh, uh, as a long time as a long time fan and uh, follower of the show. Yes, it's great to be here in person or virtually. And uh, I'll, we'll get into a little bit more about our our background. But first, tell us a little bit about. I ask everyone, where and how are you pandemicking? Yeah, I'm actually hunkered down in North Hollywood, California, with my family, my uh, wife and two daughters, and uh, and two dogs. And actually, I have to say, it's you know, we actually have it not so bad. We're uh, got a nice little little place here. It's not huge or anything, but we have we can all kind of give each other a little bit of space. I'm actually. Uh, uh, setting up shop. I actually do a lot of my work out of the uh, I have a guest house in the back, and that's where, which you know very well, Andros. I have spent your, a lot of time. It's kind of your fortress of solitude. Oh it's yeah, kind of basically where I'm hanging out. So yeah. when I imagine my, when they tell you to imagine your happy place, 
I imagine <laughs> your pool house. Yeah, and it's funny. Like I've been making. Uh, the next time you come visit, you'll have to meet my new friend. I have a couple, actually, a couple of squirrels that I've been gotten to know pretty well. So I've seen been, that uh, you've been feeding the squirrels by hand. Yeah, it's my my COVID friends. That's how you get rabies. Uh, you know, I looked into it, and I don't think there are any cases of uh, squirrels transmitting rabies. That, that, that I, don't, I don't think I think that's a myth. But well, you've always been a groundbreaking trendsetter. Josh, so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's, if anyone can do it, know, I, I believe I in you. That I, I, believe I look in around you. and I'm seeing a lot of people that have a lot, you know, a lot of challenges with the, with this pandemic. But I think we, you know, I'm trying to keep it all in perspective. But um, and things like this are nice. It's uh, I think we all have to kind of focus on the things that are gonna get us through it. And uh, you know, Radio Eight Balls, a perfect example. Creative endeavors opportunities to connect and enjoy synchronicity now my song came up as the answer Uh, my song before the show came up as the answer on last week's episode and that means the person whose song answered the last question is the guest on the next one so when my song comes up it's sort of my choice of who i want to be here to have the conversation and i was trying to think of people who have known my music since i first started putting it out in like 1990, which was probably the first, I think my first CD or my first big cassette or something, a big cassette, like a 10 song cassette that I put out and sold and had it shows. And basically you've known me from then till now. And also, uh, I also thought about how, you know, you've put on so many shows. We should tell, again, I'll have told Mm -hmm. people, but you host this event, have for Coming up with this would have been the 30th anniversary in May, uh, the May, right. the Maypole event that I played at the first one. And a lot of uh, mutual friends, people whose music, like Dan Byrne, is on the show, played at that first one. So not only do you know, you have a sort of this long-term view of me, but I also feel like you have a long-term view of the community that I came up in, which it feels like, I'm not saying you can't like my music or like what I do if you don't understand that, but... It's kind of hard to understand me outside of my context because I've never really existed outside of that. I've never, I never <laughs> had the big break that now I'm in a different stratosphere. I've always been steeping in our community and being inspired by people like Dan Byrne and Deb Pasternak and sure. Tracy Thielen and you know, a lot of the folks who played at that. Yeah, it's fascinating too, Andras, because you know, interesting that that was the 1990 was that the year that you you know, put out that first disc because that was, that was the first Maple. That was the year that we uh, did this for the first time, had this, you know, what started off as just a hootenanny, you know, a bunch of people, people, including yourself, who were just super talented. You know, it was like we, uh, this is before we had kids, but my wife and I, we were just, you know, living in LA and just surrounded by all these super creative people. And, uh, a lot of singers, a lot of songwriters and musicians. And, and it was just this wonderful kind of a lightning in a bottle kind of moment where, you know, we, we said, hey, let's have this party, get all these people together. And it turned into, you know, like you said, what would have been a 30 year tradition. It's actually going to be a 30 year tradition. We'll eventually get the next maple out there. But uh, anyway, it's just a, you know, really interesting, you know, another little uh, 
you know, like I said, a weird kind of a intersection of, uh, you know, people all at once that were kind of on the cusp of uh, really beginning, you know, their creative careers and getting out there. And we all kind of came together and uh, we're all in the same room, you know, at one point. And, uh, and so I think that's one reason the party or the event has had that kind of a staying power is that it has this resonance in so many people's minds, you know, it's such a, uh, an important kind of ritual, you know, uh, and, and a memory for people that, you know, we, we love to uh, rekindle it as often as we can. Since there isn't another one, why don't we just call this the 30th Maypole? This this, this is it. <laughs> it might get me... A, Here we go. Might get a few more listeners to the podcast. For me, it allows you to just let it be, let it be, and then next year can be the 31st. Hmm. You don't have to put a pin in it. That's an interesting Think idea. about it. Just think about it. Hmm. Uh, but... But I also want to talk about, so just to give give the listeners some context. So it started out as this house, not an, well, not really a house uh, party, really, because you were, it wasn't, you weren't, you had like a duplex. It was a duplex. You had half of a duplex or did you have a whole house there? Yeah. 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 It was basically a little two bedroom, little duplex yeah. in Hollywood with a, it was perfect. You know, it was actually, <laughs> when I look back on it, like it was like the perfect place for this. It's very, you know easy you know, everyone just kind of you know probably you know a good uh, bit of the people probably showed up on foot you know and we, yeah. but it was a right in the middle of you know off, off melrose on, i think it was on fuller yeah it's our first one and uh it was just a yeah a big perfectly sized to fit what was actually turned into a pretty pretty nice turnout and uh and we, we, it was very simple. You know, the whole idea was, okay, let's get people together and we're going to have this lineup of musicians, you know. And, and But then a lot of people just showed up that we didn't plan on being there, like Dan Byrne. Actually, I don't, I don't know if you were planned to perform, but you did. Are you uh, saying I crashed, I like, crashed the first Maple? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. But it was like, you know, there was all this great, you know, this really amazing... Uh, uh, slew of talent and people that a lot of people that we were we got to know from going to places like the iguana cafe you know, and uh sort of being exposed to all this this stuff but yeah it was it was a you know i think it was a perfect size place to kind of house what we did and, and we kind of you know one thing that keeps any good ritual going and is that you we have all these little certain little uh uh almost like uh little elements of the ritual that, that, are, that keep popping up. Like we, we served these uh, Farmer John spicy dogs, right? That was like a big deal. We just went to like the store and like bought as many hot dogs as we could find. We Funny this. you focus on that. That's like, that seems like, <laughs> because you, the, what I want to talk about is like you bring all this creativity to it. And I feel like right. that's well down the list of, it is. it's like, but, you, you know, know you're, like, you're talking about though. a baseball team. You're like, ah, oh, but it's the Fenway Franks no. that people remember. It's the food. The food's people important, remember man. the That's snail water, Josh. I think, yeah. People well, remember the, the snail, snail water. water. You make a very potent <laughs> punch. It's disgusting. <laughs> there's that. And people love it. There's all sorts of motifs and things the that snail. kind of surround it, the other. Yeah, you're, you the are snail. a master of branding. You're very, you know, you you yourself, <laughs> not only are you a fan and an appreciator of music, but you're a very creative person. You're a very talented artist who has a very unique aesthetic, which I to me is always branded onto the maypole. And you also just had this sort of, um, how do I call it? Like you, 
you're a writer, but you're not, but, and you, you're a good writer just in the sense of just being a writer, but your style of writing has this sort of Ricky Jay, Carnival Barker, let's get mad people kind of quality. Sure. So the, the combination of your artistic aesthetic and your, I guess your literary aesthetic, I think, as, as well as just yeah. the, you know, an ability to be a good hang as has been a term that's come up a lot on this show. Uh, well, I think thank that, you. I think that that helps. Well, that's that, that's high praise. But but I'll say that you know, though all these things are important, you know. But, I think but it's all about right. the farmer I, John Frank. I do focus Jesus on weird Christ. things, it's, but but it, but it all comes back to an important thing. Like I think these are memories, and they're like you know, it's kind of like you associate, you know, that wonderful experience with all these things that surrounded it—the sights, the smells, the sounds. You know, all those things kind of cultivate triggering this response in you that, that that is kind of what you seek you know it's like oh i want to go back i want to do that again i want to relive that so those things are important to kind of just like anything else it's like going home for christmas or whatever and like you know there's that those things that you know if your mom changes something it'll drive you nuts you're like what happened to the you know this ornament or the the you know the, that decoration so it, it's that people i think in life you know, life is so full of flux and disruption and change that you just everyone just like so eagerly <laughs> clings to something that doesn't change you know so that's kind of why I, I focus on those sorts of things yeah yeah i see that but it has changed a little bit it's no longer held in a two-bedroom duplex you now have a very not huge but a nice a, a nice sort of average family house in the in the valley but you have a nice pool in the back and this nice little backyard but when it, it gets transformed into maypole it's sort of like feels like the one of the most ambitious you know how can i describe like it's it's like an incredibly ambitious hobbyist kind of thing there's no profession there's no professionalism around it in the sense of money being being made or changing hands <laughs> That's right. but there's incredible That's right. professionalism in terms of you have two stages going on and our overworked and harried sound guy <laughs> jeff cleveland right. who has been uh, on Good the show on the tom petty episode playing some beautiful <laughs> songs there who would have thought that jeff cleveland would be on radio eight ball before you josh but my point is that it it's like you anyone i've ever invited walks back and they're like holy sh like <laughs> They're just on a neighborhood and you walk into this backyard and you see two stages going and all this artwork. And I would say for the most part, an incredible, there's some very, I've run into some very heavy cats and very illustrious people in your backyard, but there is an incredible lack of hipsters. There's, there's yeah, that's true. zero sense of like, we're here to be cool, fashion, People are just, it really is very casual, and, but the music yes. is very serious. There's yeah, some serious it's very, people play there. Very accessible. And it, that's kind of one of the things I love most about it is that you, and I always, as much as I love seeing all the people, you know, the old friends from year to year that, that show up, it's the, it's new people. It's like people wander in, you know, like the neighbor that's probably upset because the, the music's so loud. It shows up, but then, you know, winds up staying all night. So it's like there's, you know this uh, wonderfully uh, open nature to it, and uh, but I think that's kind of a, you know another one of the hallmarks of that tradition and what makes it you know people people keep coming back. 
Well, I'm gonna. We want to get into discussing the divinations and all that, but there's two things I wanted to bring up. Two things I wanted to bring up. One, along those lines. Uh, so at the last, I think it was the last Maypole. Yeah, there was a in, in terms of people who are new and just show up. There was a kid who showed up there by herself or with her sister. And by a kid, I mean like probably like seven, eight years old, maybe nine. Right. Yes. And she <laughs> got. Someone handed her a tambourine, and she got on stage, playing with who was she playing with? Was it with Joe? With was it with uh, was it with was it Cal Space or was it maybe Cooper? like uh, Jeff Space? It might have been. No, maybe it was. Maybe I think it was, it was with Cooper. Cooper Walker, who's been on the show as well. Who I just who grew up in your backyard playing amazing music, and she just grabbed a tambourine, and you know, a tambourine with just a guitar player and a singer, that could be. <laughs> I think everyone was prepared for this to be a bad situation because how does Cooper say, hey, little girl, get off my stage. You're ruining my... <laughs> and if you know Cooper well enough, you know he's a nice guy, but he's not above doing that. And <laughs> she just... It was the I was it was probably the best tambourine playing I'd ever seen. She was so casual and you could see her actually learning how... Like picking up a few things as she kept going, like a little, little right. bit more comfort with the groove, but she started so comfortable. I don't remember her name at the time. You know, I work as a manager. I was like, right. gotta find out who this kid is. You know, like, yep. Her uh, parents don't yeah. want to have anything she- to do with show business. I'm like, oh my god, that's <laughs> even better. That's even better. So yeah. that was one. And then, and this one I want to let you talk a little bit about is uh, the oldest of old school. Uh, the no longer with us, our great friend, who I never, I just don't get enough time, uh, opportunities to talk about in public. And I wanted to, and we're going to talk about Dan, I think, in the course of this episode, because he came up in the last one. But I want to talk about Tracy Thielen, who I, I met uh, playing at the Iguana Cafe, but I feel like I got to be friends with at, uh, at your place. Oh, yeah. And yeah, just want to talk a little bit about Tracy and what he meant to the Maple and... And what, as particularly as a, as a songwriter, but also as a person. Huge, huge, just presence, and I mean, the the force of nature that was Tracy, you know, it was just so unbelievable. And just I was, you know, when when you know someone like that, and you, you lose someone like that, it's so, you know, it's real gut wrenching because you realize, I mean, this this person was, you know extremely you know just just so gifted and so just full of things that were going to make the world so much better you know and you you see like wow this this is and meeting tracy when i did you know he's very young and we were all young but but it was just like you you felt like you're kind of you know you've almost just you're you know, you've kind of grabbed onto the tail of a tiger this guy is just going and he he is just you know doing all these amazing things and as a creative person i mean i just never ceased to be amazed by the kind of the, the projects that he would he would put out the the music he created and just like it was just like so different and and you know that was the and, and yeah he was he was one of the biggest you know uh uh contributors to getting the maple going back in the early days and, and there are just certain you know indelible memories i have of, of, of him performing and the things he would say and just like just the, you know the, that i really hang on to and 
you know, and I think in a lot of ways, you know, it keeps me going, you know, when, when you know, times like these, when we're talking about, you know, is there going to be another Maple? Yeah, definitely there's going to be another Maple, because part of that is just kind of, you know, it's almost, it is my way of hanging on to people like Tracy, you know, just through that memory and, and through that, that uh, you know, this event to me is almost like a way of keeping him alive in a way. So, I don't know. I just, uh, I can't say enough about Tracy. And, uh, it's funny, just recently I've been re-listening to a lot of his music and, and like, uh, and and I just love that, you know, like, you know, just, you know, just digging back into like, even like, you know, old tapes of his, you know, not the things he put on disc and everything, but it was all just so, you know, it really, you know, oftentimes just really, uh, the kind of music and ideas that just really made you question. Place a piece of tape on each little paw. Do the kitty mumbo. So much fun must be against the law. Do the kitty mumbo. in the way you think about you know everything from, you know country religion all that kind of stuff it just all kind of you know he, he had such a great way of uh, you know kind of turning everything on its head you know or seeing it sideways so anyway definitely he was a, a huge part of it there's one story that now when we, we talked about i uh, for many Weeks at a time, sometimes even almost months at a time, I've stayed in the house in your backyard. I love it. It's been a refuge and a home, and and it's led to nights where we would be staying out late in your backyard, drinking around the fire, and you'll tell stories. And you know, obviously, I, I may not always track, but I seem to remember that you had a great story about. Well, Tracy not only was a great songwriter, but he also was in the in the film business as a driver, and he worked for Quentin Tarantino on his early films. And isn't there a story that you were at one of the like the rap party for Pulp Fiction, and Tracy and his band Ace T and the Hindenburg Ground Crew <laughs> were the were the band, and it was making people angry? Right. Could you? Could you tell yeah. a little bit about I, this? Is you know, if I, I go back in time, this is one of the things <laughs> that, and it's, it hurts me because I was alive and I was friends with. I could have been there. I, I, why would I waste a time machine on something I could have actually done? But goddamn, play it on yes. us, man. Oh yeah. So I, I wish I was there. I was not there, but I did hear about it immediately afterward. And it was basically what happened was, yeah, Tracy was a driver. He drove trucks around for movies. Yeah hauled stuff around he was a teamster and 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 what uh he you know he, he became quentin tarantino is kind of like his lucky charm he actually worked with tarantino on um a couple movies at least i know i think it was he did uh i know he did pulp fiction but and i think it was the pulp fiction uh rap party where he was asked to perform Tarantino said, hey, why don't you sing a few songs for us, Tracy? 
<laughs> and Tracy got up, and I think he basically started went into some kind of like crazy, like Gregorian chant, kind of like weird, like I don't know how to describe it, but just started like groaning and like grunting and did this long, super prologue. That was one of the things that Tracy would do. He would just sometimes he would do things, and it would just take them. Well, he, there was an Andy Kaufman esque quality uncomfortably yeah. long kind of like <laughs> you think like okay well, that's kind of funny tracy but now oh my god it's starting to kill me you know and, and he would and he would just just dance 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 on on these nerves and like just and just take you and you almost just into a whole other dimension of like you know just you know anguish and torment like what is, but it was also at the same time so fascinating you know, so it would really be an interesting like litmus test on, you know, a party, right? You would see some people react and just be completely blown away and just so into it, right? And just like loving it. And then there were other people that were just so significantly challenged and like freaked out by this completely unorthodox kind of form of entertainment that they would just lose their minds. And that was what happened with Eric Stoltz. I think he freaked out and like literally was ready to kill Tracy. So <laughs> <laughs> that's how the story goes. And, and I think, you know, maybe even like, I don't know if it came to blows, but it came close where, you know, this just pushed, pushed poor old Eric Stoltz into some, you know, really dark place. But uh, that was like, you know, a great, that was a vintage, you know, Tracy Thiel and stuff like that. And also an interesting uh, bit of trivia. If you watch, uh, Pulp Fiction, there's a scene where Bruce Willis is like pulls up to the intersection and the the guy walks in front of the, he's across the crosswalk. Ving Rames, you know? yeah. Yeah, Ving Rames, exactly. And, uh, and so there's this moment where recognition, where Bruce sees the opportunity or whatever, and he slams on the, you know, the accelerator and like, he just runs over the guy, right? So, but it, there's a little cutaway shot of these, uh, Chuck Taylor's hitting the gas. Those are Tracy's feet, apparently. So, well, at least that was what Tracy used to say. Wow, he was very proud of that. That's so. that's pretty awesome. Yeah, we miss him. I miss him. I uh, I love singing his songs every year at Maypole. Have for the last few, and that's a a uh, a uh, tradition I intend to continue. The songs, his songs are. We talked about it on an earlier episode. I don't know if you heard it, but I was on our Christian Gisborne episode. We were talking about how my cure for any kind of writer's block as a songwriter is just start writing the dumbest song you could possibly think of. And in a way, I think of Tracy as like the supreme example of like a smart person. A smart songwriter can't write a dumb song. So start with the dumbest idea pot if you really can't find anything else just start writing like the stupidest thing you can think of and then just take it as far as you can and it'll be you know it'll be a song it may not be it might not be great but you'll be out of your songwriters uh, your your writer's block and there's a good chance it's going to be better than all the stuff that you did wrote when you were trying to be a fancy pants smarty guy whatever that's oh yeah that quality of like like Firmly believe it. That. Looked like his t- <laughs> what was it? He's, it was only his proof of insurance, but it looked like, but it looked a, like pistol a pistol to, to me. me. Yeah, jeez, oh, genius. 
I pulled a man over late one Thursday night A routine procedure cause he wasn't white I asked him to show me required ID And he pulled out what looked like a pistol to me It was only his proof of insurance But it looked like a pistol to me It was only his proof of insurance But it looked like a pistol to me I drew my 45 quick as a sneeze I fired nine shots and I told him to freeze When I shined a light on his hand still ended Where it should have said cold it said I'll stay instead It was only his proof of insurance But it looked like a pistol to me It was only his proof of insurance But it looked like a pistol to me You see, when a cop's tired and scared and alone He can't tell a shotgun from a kid's ice cream cone Then at the hearing to confess I was a victim of nearsightedness I got reprimanded they cancelled my raise and they make me wear glasses on duty nowadays it was only his proof of insurance but it looked like a pistol to It was only his proof of insurance But it looked like a pistol to me wow. That was so, I mean, really just like, yeah. man I, I guess maybe it was smart to choose Tracy because now all the other songwriters and all the other people who have performed in Maypole will just be jerks if they're like, why didn't they talk about me? <laughs> <laughs> so, but there were yeah. there. But my point in saying that is that there are at this point literally hundreds of people who have performed oh, yeah. at Maypole over the years. Sure. And before we move on, is there any is there anyone else you'd like to single out? We should say through all of this that this is something that you do in partnership with your wife, Sarah, who That's you've right. been with as long as I've known you. Another thing, far more impressive than all the talent, you know, all the good and talented things people can do. You've managed to stay in a, you know, a happy and ha seemingly healthy relationship the whole time <laughs> I've known you since before I've known you. And, and that's a part of the reason that yes. I enjoy hanging out in your in your uh, more than it's not the it's not the accommodations that keeps me coming back to the pool house it's the sense of uh, a great it's the, unit of family that's great the the false sense of stability yes no, I it, love it, it actually it's, it's, it's it's it is amazing I'm very fortunate and, and she's uh, an amazing person yeah. in her own she's right she I she was she gave is. me a little bit of grief that I didn't invite her but I would love to have her on for another episode <laughs> I just knew this one we were going to be getting into some trivia and 
if you weren't on, there'd be a lot of her saying, oh, we should talk to ask Josh that. Yeah. Well, she's she's good at like finishing stories that I'm telling before I finish. So that's like, it's probably good she's not here. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll we'll have, <laughs> we'll have her on another time. So is there anyone else that you wanted to give a shout out well, to? Well, you know, there were, there's so many and I, yeah, kind of almost don't want to just single people out, but there was, I, I will make, do a shout out to Deb Pasternak, who was like, she was one of the early Maypole pioneers that really kind of like helped cement you know this kind of uh, the foundation on this this thing and like she you know just such a beautiful voice and like such a cool distinctive kind of style and everything i was just so and i was blown away by her you know, the first time i heard her and and i was so just happy that she would you know come over and like perform you know the, the, my party and everything and i just uh you know, that's one of the people that, uh, you know, I keep trying to drag back out. She's in uh, Boston now. And, and, and I always like, every time we, the Maple comes back around, I'm like, okay, we're going to be able to get Deb back out here <laughs> you know, for the, for the next one. But uh, she, she's a good one. I know you worked with, with Deb a lot. Yeah. She sang so. on, uh, she was in the band when we made our first, uh, That's the, right. I guess the second Mr. Jones in the previous record. And she covered my song message for the moon on her record. Yeah. She's, she's great. She's amazing as are so many others. But yeah, I was like, I, there was, when I heard there was a chance that not only might Deb Pasternak be at the upcoming Maypole, but that she might be needing a room and we have an extra room in the apartment that we that uh, I'm, I've been staying in in LA, and uh, and so I might, I might even get a chance to be roomies with her for a day or two. So maybe the next time year, will come next year. There you go. Well, let's get uh, let's get over to the to what this form this show's all about and the the format that we're here to to dig into. On last week's episode, the question was, how do we keep from taking things for granted? And they got my song before the show from my religious 99 CD. And you're one of, again, one of the few people I know on the planet who has really the complete collection of all my stuff over the years. So what did you think about that as the answer to the question? It's, it's a difficult thing. You know, it's like something I struggle with, to tell you the truth. And like, I don't, I, you know, when we talk about the maple, certainly there's certain things that, you know, when you get around to like uh, you know, prioritizing and sort of, uh, assigning some sort of a score to things in your in your life it, it it is a very i mean tricky thing you know because it's like on some things that are negative you need to chalk those up as well you can't just like discount everything that sucks you know it's like those are like opportunities to learn right whereas like everything if everything's great all the time you know what, what kind of a weird charmed screwed up sort of existence is that so i don't know i mean what do you think i mean what is your your take on that well um, here's what i'm curious about the song before the show comes up as the answer to that and to me well because we had just been talking about dan and his song tongue-tied and i had been telling a story about dan in portland seeing dan in portland where scott weddle's from sort of synchronicity guided us and then before the show came up and my immediate reaction was like, oh my God, I wrote this about Dan, which as I've been thinking about, I was like, I, I really, there's a lot of people I wrote that about, but he was sort of the initiating. I think there was probably sure. some 
event he was at where I was super excited to see him and I went up to say, hey, Dan, and he was like, Ur. I was like, okay. <laughs> I don't take this personally, but I, I think I learned a lesson here because I'm like right. that too. And because so... It's like timing is everything. Yeah. <laughs> so to me, that's why I was kind of curious because the answer, there's the song before the show and we kind of expl- sure. talked about on the last episode how I thought that the song and the lyrics... And the theme of the song answered the question about not taking things for granted. But I thought, I guess one of the things I was thinking about having you along was that you have this long-term context with Dan. You have this long-term context with me and both of us with our music and with our shows. And so I guess, you know, I guess what it is is that as much as I can kind of appreciate, like I had that experience with Dan that made me see something about myself and all in this dynamic of before sure. the show that I hadn't seen, right. but I've never been on the receiving end of, I've, I've seen people react to me when I'm that guy before the show, but I've never been that person with me before <laughs> the show. Where I feel like you have probably seen me yeah. in that state I've, from when I, I was like there. 20 I've, years I've, old I've... till now <laughs> at varying stages of my life and my maturity and lack thereof. And so, yeah, I just thought, oh, okay, well, this is a great opportunity for me to get that reflection and bring that context sure. into it. And probably not just yeah. with me, like you've had this experience, you've had that experience with me in context of your experience with lots of artists putting on this show oh, over yeah. the years. No, it's real, it's real dodgy. You know, it's like in, in your song does a great job of sort of spelling it out. It, it is like that. How do you pick your moment? You know, and how do you like, and you are sort of being, you know, you, you have to look at people, especially creative people that are about to go perform or do something. It's like, it's like they're getting into that headspace and they're sort of like, you know, preparing themselves. And they're like, I'm always super cognizant of that. I'm always a little spooked by it, to tell you the truth. Like, I don't, you know, I, I think I went to a Dan show with you not too long ago yeah. where it was like, and I saw him right before the show, but I was like, I'm just not going to go mess with him or like, you know. And it was just sort of weird because you feel like a sort of this orbiting sort of sat- satellite sort of, but I hadn't seen him in so long and I wanted to go up and talk to him, but I was like, I, don't know, I was just like, ah, I think I'll just wait, you know, <laughs> till after the show or whatever. <laughs> so it's like, I get it, you know, and with you, certainly, I, I think I remember uh, a couple of years ago we were doing, uh, you were at the Maypole and I remember you, you were really, uh, I think it was actually, we were trying to, we were doing more of like a Tracy tribute, right? We were doing a lot of the songs mm-hmm. and like, I remember the, there was definitely so you could tell there's like a certain you, you get you know, you're definitely I wouldn't call it stage fright but you've got like this definite like you're kind of getting your game face on right before a show a little bit yeah. I mean like I, I feel like I try to try to honor that and like you know I'll give you your space or you know I'll just you know I won't be try not to ask too many hmm. you know questions of your requests you know ahead of time because it's like that that's just gonna like oh so disruptive i would say but i think i think anybody that's around creative people sort of appreciates that and sort of has that kind of okay you know let's not but i thought it was funny how you talked about both you guys were talking about your moms (laughs) (laughs) they don't they totally don't respect that space at all the moms will just like yeah hey (laughs) you know I got your sister on the phone or like, you know, whatever. It's like, they're, they're just like, yeah, forget it. You know, all bets are off. So nobody's a rock star to their mom. I mean, I guess <laughs> no, actually there probably there are people, you know, but uh, that's a whole other world. 
Well, I was just thinking about how it's true. Well, particularly, it's funny now. For me, I get more... And it's, you're right, it's not stage fright, but I get agitated and wound up when it's something I really care about. And I get more that way for the Maypole. Like, I'm last year, right around the time of the Maypole, I did this Harry Nilsson uh, tribute show at Molly Malone's with some heavy cats, one of my favorite songwriters. It was a, it was a very lucky thing to be on that. On that. And I just kind of knew. I mean, none of the, most of those people hadn't seen me before, and I knew I was going to be better than they expected. Because when any when you ever you're always better than people expect if you're any good, and nobody's seen you before. Because everyone's just hoping it's not going to be terrible for the next three and a half minutes. <laughs> so if you're not terrible, like there's just that you can ride that relief for a minute or for a few for a while. But with the maypole, I I know that people there have been seeing me for so long, and I get. Yeah, I do. You're right. I get, I definitely take those shows super seriously. Not, I hope not seriously like a downer, but yeah, I care. I, I don't want to, I don't want to mess it up because I'm not going to get another shot at that until next year. So oh. yeah, it's. Well, I think that's a beautiful thing, you know, about like you know, someone that's, that, you know, it's committed to their art, you know, that they want it to be as good as it can be. And they want, you know, there's a certain reverence, you know, for for you know what goes into it you know and how it's you know th that's that means something you know it's like when you, you i've been to plenty of shows where you could tell you know the artist or the performer just didn't give a damn you know <laughs> they're just like all right yeah well i'm just gonna dial this one in right but so i think that's you know i think it's more of a, a trademark of like someone who really cares you know it's like you know really wants to you know wants to do something meaningful so I think that's good. And I think that's why there's a little bit of a, you know, you know, if you can, if you can give, you know, someone that space or allow them to do that, you should. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Versus trying to undermine that. So, well, I, I think that's a good we have this other odd synchronicity uh, that uh, I don't know. I don't want to stop you. I, when we're talking about my music, I tend to like, I think it, it's the funniest thing. When I was younger, I thought that I was an egomaniac and maybe I was but as I've gotten older I realize that I'm such an egomaniac that I'm trying so hard not to be an egomaniac that I just <laughs> I, I, I hurry past my stuff like if we were talking like I feel like we could talk I could talk forever about Tracy Thiel and I'll never get bored sure. but we're on me so uh, I kind of want to move on to the next but is there anything else you want to say about before the show before I move on to the next thing you don't uh... have to <laughs> no, I think I, I will say this, like, I, I, I've always just been blown away by, you know, you were always like, when, when we first got, when I first landed in LA, you were the guy that was like, wow, who's this, you know, who's this guy? He's like this working actor, you know, whereas everybody else was, you know, no one else had a job, you know, we were all just like starving, you know, whatever, but like this guy, he's on Save the Bell and stuff. <laughs> Who's this guy? Yeah, so it was like this real, you know, you were sort of an anomaly. But what was so cool about you, Andres, is you were you were never this like, you know, and you kind of you, you you say you were an egomaniac, but I, you were always very approachable and very cool and like super accessible guy, and like that was one of the you know sort of you know really you know wonderful things about you know getting to know you is like that that whole like it, it actually was like. You know, you were sort of like a beacon of hope. You know, you were like, oh wow, you actually can make it in this town. 
<laughs> you could actually, you know, if you're talented and you apply yourself and you do, you know, this and that, you could actually succeed. And so that was like, you, you always sort of filled that kind of, uh, that sort of a role. It was, it was like a role model almost for like a lot of people. So we were all sort of like, you know, uh, and, and, and like I said, you were very, you, you know, you, you were so open to, I remember you, you were like, uh, you know, at these at the very, some of the earliest Maples, you were sort of right there in the mix, you know, someone needed someone to back up, you know, Pat Vernon needed you to sing back up or something, you would be right there. You know, it was like, so it was like, you know, I think you, I think maybe you're a little too hard on yourself as far as the uh, egomaniac stuff. And, uh, I never really saw that side of you. You know, it is, you, someone can, you can hear a, a uh, hundred people say something nice about you, but one person says something bad about you and you, that's the thing you hold on to. So and a, sure. after a lifetime, you have 12 bad things that people have said about you that just are in your pocket, your go-to. Right. And of course. Uh, and at this point, thousands of wonderful things that people have said about you that you're, that you have taken for granted. Hey, there you go. <laughs> We're br- perfect bringing it all the way around full circle <laughs> thank you that's right for helping me to personally <laughs> not take this for granted so thanks and uh and now we get to stay on talking about my music because not only is this the first show where one of my songs came up as the answer and so i'm having to talk about it on the show but my, one of my songs, a much more recent song, actually probably my most current, well, second most current song in terms of the chronology of recording them, uh, came up as the answer, the uh, pop oracle song of the day for today, May 21st, 2020, the song Record Store that I recorded in Olympia, Washington a couple of years ago with uh, three people who have been guests on Radio 8 Ball, Scott Taylor, great songwriter, uh, and he plays bass and guitar and a bunch of other stuff on the record. On that song, uh, Skylar Blake, who plays guitar and a bunch of other stuff on the song and engineered the sessions. And then Peter David Connolly playing the drums. And, well, uh, I had you listen to it right before the show. I, I have some. I have a couple of maybe odd synchronicities to share about it. Were there any interesting synchronicities for you around the thoughts or ideas in that song? Yeah, well, I thought it was very timely. And, you know, when you think about you know, the whole concept of a record store and like how, what, what it, the role it plays in people's lives, you know, and, you know, I, you know, to me, that's like, you know, some of my greatest, you know, earliest memories of it. I think the first time I ever earned any money, I was like a dishwasher at my father's restaurant, you know, I was probably like 15 or something like that. And I got a paycheck and the first thing I did with that money was go straight to the record store, right, to buy some music so i was like uh you know so this song to me you know is, is has all sorts of conjures all sorts of uh ideas and memories but you know there's a line in there i love this line you know where it's like is my town i think it's is my town still a community yeah or something like that For, yeah it's like what a question you know that, that is it i mean that is you know if you're you know if you can't i mean if is the record store still there if, if, if without a record store you know you know think about that you know like it's, it's such an important you know piece of like so many people's you know this launch pad to you know opening people's minds you know which i think is what music does you know i think 
Yeah, I have like our good friend Peter Jesperson, right? That guy, you know, if he couldn't get to a record store, he'd lose his mind, right? I think I'm like that too. You know, if one of my greatest, you know, recent memories was taking my uh, my oldest daughter. You know, she got into vinyl, you know, about a year or so ago. I was like, hey, I want to buy start buying records, and like so, we walked up the street to uh, Atomic Records and you know bought a bunch of bunch of LPs and it was like but that whole process of like you know flipping through the stacks and like you know it's like you're going to be confronted with all these memories all these things like old music new music it's all kind of hitting you you know and uh it's just a wonderful thing to be able to share with someone you know like to be able to like hey I want you to hear this you know because this really meant a lot to me you know maybe it'll mean something to you so to me that's what you know, it's a beautiful, you know, sentiment, you know, when you think about it, like how, what, what the role that a record store could play in our lives. Yeah. Am I, am I over? No, 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 no. I mean, that's, <laughs> I think that's, I mean, that's definitely, that's definitely what's in there. The, you know, in the song, the, the record store is, is the record store, but it's also a metaphor for, uh, yeah, for community, for, for all of these things that, that could at any point we could possibly lose. And then in terms of, again, and that we shouldn't take for granted. And then in the present moment, there's two things, two sort of synchronicities. One in the present moment, this is something that we're really looking at is are the cool little places the you know, the not best buys, the not targets, the not McDonald's are these, the odd little places are they going to be able to make it through this record stores were already facing a crunch will when we when we come out of this will they be around uh, will your will your town still have a record store and then for me there was just and it's not it's not a a promising synchronicity but there was this record store Olympia has several record stores so we're very lucky in that but there was one particular record store that Scott Taylor who I work with on this song worked at and uh, it was called funk fuzz records it was in it was embedded in a used clothing store called dumpster values in downtown olympia and the whole time i was making the song writing the song i was actually inspired by funk fuzz records i think one time i it was like right after tom petty died or around the time after tom petty died i went i got drunk and walked downtown and walked through the stacks and I just felt, I don't know, it's like church or something. Uh, right. And I went home and I wrote this song and I and then I asked Scott to play on it. And it was all felt such like this beautiful gestalt. It was the time when I was putting out my record, All You Get. And I had this idea that when All You Get came out, it would be in that record store. And on the week that I got the records, Funk Fuzz announced they were going out of business. Uh, and it wasn't wow. necessarily for money. It was because the guy who ran it, he was going to have a kid. And it just, it. but it was one of those sure. synchronicities where I was like, my town still has a rule. What? <laughs> 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 and, and the thing is, I can't, like, my town still does have a record store. So it's sort of like this right. ordinary people thing. Like if I, right. if all I am is bummed about funk fuzz going and then <laughs> Timothy Hutton, <laughs> the other, the other record store, rainy day records is going to be like, but I'm still alive, dad. That's right. 
<laughs> the wrong son died. <laughs> you know, no, 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 no. I still love Rainy Day Records, but it was just, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things, like, I look at record stores, it's almost like one of those things you just want to wish, wish into eternal existence, you know? But it's like, at the same time, I'm like, you know, older you get you get more cynical you 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 know you you live life and you pay bills and you sort of you know you get familiar with you know balance sheets and things like that and you start doing the math i mean this is one of the horrible things about getting older you start you look at things and you do calculations you know like, and, and one of those really bad ones that i often do is like i start to look at things and go like how does that stay alive you know like, how does that still work you know like, you know what I mean? It's like a terrible, it's like a curse. Yeah. But like you start to like try to figure out, you know, in your head, like uh, rationalize how well, this, I mean, because you start to put yourself and like, do I spend enough money in these stores to keep these places alive? Like I always like one of the funny ones was I always used to drive me nuts. Like I, I'd buy like sh- these like shoes that needed to be resold or whatever. And every so long I'd go into like a cobbler, right? Like a cobbler, a person that actually repairs shoes. And I'd be like, hey, can you put a new sole on these? And like, and usually like this really old guy, you know, like looked like Geppetto or something, like some really older gentleman. And he would fix my shoes, but then be, the bill would come in to be like, that'll be five dollars. <laughs> and I was like, how does this work? <laughs> how is this sustainable? Like, there's no way in the world that like that only costs five dollars. Like, uh, but like, you know, it's kind of a funny like you do that, right? You look around the world and you go, man. Like, I just wish that, you know, all those things you love, you know, like like record stores or like cobblers or things like that. Like, can they be sustainable? You know, or are they just inevitably doomed? Synchronicity you know, by... podcasts. How do they? How? how why is that right. going for twenty two years? Exactly. It's great. <laughs> uh, God level. Yeah, and that, there, the, and there was before we get to your question, there is one other thing that uh, if people are listening to this, there's a line in the song. Every Tuesday night from six to eight, we would chaotically congregate. That refers ah, to the first radio chaos. Radio, well, Radio Eight Ball when we started on Chaos, it was every Tuesday night from six yeah. to eight. So yeah, so you know, for people who are following along, that's just a little bit of show trivia. Interesting. Back that wouldn't have been when we first started in 1998, but when we started when we went to prime time in 2004, going up uh, against the. Uh, uh, second Bush uh, administration. So, right. uh, yeah. So, anyway, uh, let's uh, let's let's transition to your question for the Pop Oracle, Josh. Do you have the Radio Eight Ball app at the ready? I do. Can you hear me? Oh yes, I can. I I do. I uh, and I'm I'm going to enter a question. Okay. Right. Okay. What is your question for the Pop? Oracle. My question is, and it kind of ties into what we've been talking about. And this is a real question. It's not just some metaphysical, weird exploration. But hold on, I'm typing and I'm using my readers, so it's kind of difficult. But the question is, well, let me let me give some context to it. We talked a little bit about the whole, you know, here we are in this pandemic, everyone's hunkered down, right? Doing what we can do. Um, And I 
I started getting nostalgic and like digging into old things, right? And like I dug through my tapes and started, uh, you know, re-exploring a lot of things. And I really started thinking a lot about memories and like memory and the power of memory, what memory can do for you, what it you know, can it hurt, help you, hurt you, you know, the things you choose to hang on to, right? In your life, you know, from a, from a memory perspective. And then sometimes you don't have a choice. They just go away, right? Or you lose them or they, they stay or they go, whatever. But I started thinking a lot about that. And my question is, is managing your memories the secret to happiness? Is managing your memories the secret to happiness? Got it. That's my I question. like it. Okay, well, now, would you like to engage the Pop Oracle by giving the Radio 8 Ball app a shake? I shook it. I'm shaking. Okay, let's see what happens. <laughs> what, what what do we get? Ooh. Song called Right Away by Miranda Zeiger. Ooh, okay. That's interesting. That'll be fun. Right away. <gasps> huh. Oh. Are you going to play it? Yeah. Oh, okay, good, good. good. <laughs> no, I was like, wait, you're leaving me hanging? So I'll think about that. Yeah. Get this out of my head 
That was Miranda Zeiger with Right Away, uh, the song that she performed on Radio 8 Ball on June 18th, 2018, as the answer to a question from the actress Tess Niedermeyer. And now that was the answer to Josh Troy's question, is managing your memories the secret to happiness? To happiness. So... Yeah, you had an immediate response to that. What do, what do you think about that as the answer to your question? I think so. I think she says very clearly in this song that I think there's something to that because she talks a lot about, I mean, the whole song is sort of this double entendre kind of in my mind. I'm like, yeah. right away, it, right it's away. It's spelled right, W-R-I-T-E, like writing right. myself away. But, but it's kind of like right away, right? It's like right away. It's like almost like there's this immediacy sort of to that. Sort of you hear it and then you see it and you might interpret it differently. But I think there's something to, you know, this notion of like capturing something, you know, like like she talks about writing in her journal, right? And like, to me, that's an attempt to kind of capture time or capture memories, right? And it's a, yeah, a, a worthy exercise, you know, but it's like, because you, you get to choose what you write in your journal, right? You don't have to write everything. You can write the things you want to remember and whether they're painful or they're pleasant, you know, you have that power. And that's kind of part of how you, you manage or cultivate that, that whatever that happiness is, that, that memory that, uh, you know, keeps you going. You know, not that I think we should all be delusional <laughs> and kid ourselves, but maybe there's some of that. You know, there's that, that might be a secret to happiness to some degree. You kind of, I mean, I think of like some of the worst things, you know, my biggest regrets, you know, in life are like these painful memories, but they're very instructive, you know, and they like kind of, but I don't dwell on them. And I like, yeah, keep them, kind of, you know, they're stored away. I don't don't forget them, but also don't like, you know, it's not like what I'm going to think about every day when I wake up. So I think there's something there, but I think, uh, I mean, what do you think? Well, I think, I think it's, I think you really hit on it and it's, it's a beautiful um, reflection, which is, which I totally relate to. And I'm actually experiencing, I I had a, a real visceral experience of remembering so we were talking about the song Message for the Moon that Deb Pasternak covered of mine. And one of the things that, I don't know, no one's, no one out, probably most people who are listening to this haven't heard the song, but it was, there was a moment when it was sort of like my, uh, our, my band's big song that we'd play at all our shows. And it's still a song that I'll play, you know, some of all the old songs that I'll play from time to time. 
And one of the things that I treasure about that song, aside from everything else, is that I have a memory of seeing the moon hanging over Hollywood. I was on DeLong Prey outside of my place. It was an evening. I looked up. I saw this moon. I The night was hot and electric. There were all these things, and I put them into this song, and I've forgotten a lot of full moons, but I'll never forget that one. And I didn't know that that's what I was... I wasn't writing at that point with that awareness. That experience taught me that awareness, which makes me wonder why I've written so many songs about things that that bother me (laughs) instead of things that I treasure. But (laughs) that's the other part of songwriting is that you have to write your... Like, when you're troubled, you can write yourself away from a situation. Right. And that's what I've been doing a lot in this quarantine. All of a sudden, I've been calling it a songwriter <laughs> relapse because I try, I generally try not to spend a lot of time writing songs because it just feels like sort of pumping out babies that I don't know how, to, you know, other than the maypole. It's that's changed mm-hmm. a little bit over this last year, but for the most part, there's been a sense of what am I going to do with them if I have them? Yeah. But so you write it away? I need it. You know, I need something to take <laughs> me away from hours by myself. And it's important. What I'm finding, I'm probably going to capture some of this experience. Good. My pandemic experience is going to be encoded into these songs that, just like my experience of Olympia, is encoded into Record Store. And my experience of that Dan Byrne and that dynamic of being before the show and being just sort of so hot under the collar to go perform, you know, that's encoded in, in that song. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, so I, I think I think there's also let's let's dig down into this, because I think someone listening to this could think, well, what about my Instagram page? What about, you know, sure. my picture? Like, is is that the same? And there's a part of me that feels like and maybe this is just the old curmudgeon in me that is like, no, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Taking something that like looking at the world around you and then filtering it through your mind and putting it into, uh, I don't know, putting into making something that didn't exist before, whether it's just a journal entry or a letter or a, a haiku or a song or a film or a, you know, a massive statue or whatever, mm-hmm. that that's, oh boy, do you hear that? The helicopter yeah. going by? Yeah, a, a like big it. military helicopter going by. Um, so... Yeah, there's something to me that there's a because the song is right away, W R I T E away. Yep. I think there's something about filtering an experience through your nervous system and creating something that is yours or that you have made mm-hmm. that that's different from then I'm going to take a picture of something and say this is me. Right. Do you feel like- well, I think that that's fair. I think that yeah, and I think Instagram is kind of like an easy kind of target because it's like it does seem so it's too easy, right? It's like the, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the photography, the, let's throw a filter on this, right? Like see it through rose colored glasses, right? Like whatever, everything can look better on Instagram, right? You can, so it is, it's like that to me, not to say that there aren't people that put amazingly beautiful things on Instagram and it, it happens all the time. I'm just thinking, but there is something, I think what you're getting at that I think is true that, there's there's something about the discipline and the the act of writing and that that whole you know there's more of a you know there's like a 
mental and a mechanical side to that, right? That it's like a little more like of a commitment, you know. That that and I think that 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 kind of breeds that 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 kind of resonance. And also, you know, it's funny when you talk about message, you know, message for the moon. It's like that is like to, to me. It's what a what an amazing song. And you do it, it does capture something so visceral, you know, that you know. There's I think there's a line in there about like there's like something about love is gonna love is here now, but it's gonna go away. Yeah, my love like, is never far fair. away, but she's never here <laughs> to stay. Right. Yeah. It's like, that's like a cool, it's just such a very young sort of, you know, almost like cavalier yeah. <laughs> kind of notion of love. But, but it's like, that was accurate. Probably. It's like, it's like, Oh yeah, I'm in love, but you know, it's, it's kind of, well, it's about the moon. There. No, it's about them because the moon. Yeah, like, well, yeah, I know, but it's like, you're right. It's, like, it's, it's a so metaphor. funny, like, you know, but it's like, it's the inside, inside the mind of Andras Jones, <laughs> uh, you know, on the long prey. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like a very good, you know, that's what makes it so good. You know, it has such, there's credibility to it, you know, even though it's like, you, you look back at it and go, like, oh man, what was I thinking? You know, but, but it's so honest, you know, like in the moment and you, and you did, I mean, that, that's exactly what we're talking about. That you captured a moment in time, right. And you did it. You kind of, but, but I did it from, that's the thing is that the person who benefits the most from that, and this is not often the case with song, you know, with art or songs, but is me. Is like I have it's like when you have a friend who has a memory that you can only remember when you're hanging out with that friend, but by creating that song, I created that friend for myself that I can call right. upon anytime. And the other thing I wanted to say about this, which is I think it's very important, and again, not to single out Instagram, but I think that there's if you're engaged in something where I don't want to say it's easy because songwriting can be easy. Writing can be easy, but there is something about that. It takes a certain amount of time to do it. And I think what this song is saying is the time it takes to do it is the point. The product is not the goal. It might be what you're do. It might be the end result, but the fact that I have a project that's going to fill my mind and keep me inspired and engaged for any period of time is the blessing. And I think that's kind of what the, that's what I'm talking like. And, and there is something in doing that that does, well, I guess it has the pot. I can say personally, it has the power to sort of make you happier. And it also has the power to program yourself to be the opposite i've spent many years going out and singing songs that were i don't know that that were really angry at the world in certain ways and at a certain point i realized oh i'm doing this to myself (laughs) you know i'm out there saying i'm out there i've created these prayers of dissatisfaction that are just creating more dissatisfaction and in some ways i feel like i'm still (laughs) like in a way before the show like think about that like going back to that song, that's a song where mm-hmm. it's it's really it, this is my way of trying to I make it. There's a complaint in it. The complaint is this person's troubling before the show, but then there's an exploration of it. Like, well, so am I, and then maybe like an understanding of like, okay, well, this is just the way things are, and you can accept it. But it starts with a it starts with a complaint, sure. and you know sometimes you can transform the complaint. 
and sometimes all you do is just repeat it and repeat it. And I think that's, uh, and again, from the, the standpoint of the song, both are valuable because it kept, it got me out of my head and, in, and I guess it's, you can write an angry, toxic song and it can be valuable for you, but you might not want to put it on your record and tour it and play it every <laughs> night because that <laughs> might be bad for you. And that's all about managing it, right? Yeah. It's like just compartmentalizing it somehow. Like it goes, yeah, it's there. It's in the, uh, it's in the catalog, but I'm going to use it very judiciously. Um, is there anything <laughs> else that you thought about how that song related to your question or any context? No, I just, I really liked it. I'd never heard that song before. And I like the whole thing about the very end. It's like, you know, it's an interesting sort of, arc where she's like you know you know basically spilled so much ink or whatever she's like basically gone through you know it's almost like an exorcism yeah if enough (laughs) ink is shed like it's if if enough blood is shed i might get this out get this out of my head yeah which is like uh i can see why that line would speak to you you have a a wonderfully dark and perverse streak I do. That runs through all your positivity you. and appreciation and all that. But I think <laughs> there's just like this nice little like ribbon of I just perversity. like diversity. I like the I like the weird little like, hey, wow, that's kinda like, Yeah. Well, you know, that's and, a perfect transition. Uh so I, I'm I'm hoping that you'll stick around with me beyond the behind the very thin membrane of a paywall to help me with my question for the pop oracle. Sure. But before we of do course. Let's talk a little bit about you, Josh, and what you like where people can find your writings, your audio oh, yes. recordings, your musings on the world, <laughs> your artwork. Where can people and I'll pro- I'll provide the links, but maybe you can provide some context, Frogstorm oh, yeah. and 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 such. Sure. You know, I I think uh one of my I think my favorite creative outlet is frogstorm.com. So that's basically a little labor of love similar to the maypole but i go in and you know every day i'm posting a story about something that happened on that day it's very radio eight ball when you think about it but there's something that happened on that day that i thought was just worthy of like revisiting or rethinking or so it's a lot of like uh historical anecdotes but usually it's the ones that have fallen you know, through the cracks and maybe, or, or else not. Sometimes it's major events. Like I had one on a few, uh, was it yesterday? Was Mount St. Helens day? Oh basically? yeah. Or, May 18th. Two days. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, you, you know, some, some are things you've, you've heard of, but maybe I try to see them from a slightly different angle or, or illuminate some piece of that story that maybe you haven't heard or, but I'm always just, I love that stuff. I just love history and like those weird, the stories that to me are almost always some kind of like moral fable, you know, and like, you know, inevitably, you know, just by, you know, weird things that happen in, in life, you know, truth being stranger than fiction. So I think Frogstorm is a good place to kind of, hopefully people will go and check it out. Uh, but it's a, uh, something I, I really enjoy. And uh, keeps me going. And I, I write away on that all the time. You know, if you did Frogstorm as a podcast, it would be so much more popular than Radio 8 Ball in like two in <laughs> the, the week it came out. 
People have I'm such, not so sure. People have such a hunger for this stuff. Now, I see that there are two entries for today. Would you like to share one or both of them with us before before we move behind the paywall? What are the entries? May 21st is Broken Machines. Yeah, I think the the Broken Machines was kind of it's funny. It's like some of these some are ones that I wrote more recently and some of them are like longer ago. And Broken Machines is is basically come kind of more of a darker tale, right? That's the uh, basically a tale of uh, um, two guys decide they want to like go and kill somebody. And like for it's like a thrill killing, which is you know kind of not the headspace I'm definitely in right now. <laughs> so you know probably not my story of choice right now. But the other one. Oh wait, so this is about the Leopold and Loeb murders. It is. Well, Leopold. okay. Yeah, Le- well, is. let's. Okay, wait, wait a second. Let's. This isn't. This is for people who are not aware of this. This is kind of an interesting story. First of all, the movie Rope, the the yep. Hitchcock film Rope was based upon this. Yeah. And it's, I tell you what it is. It's more of like it. It's like what gets inside of people, you know, that would drive you to think. And it's such a detachment, you know. You'd have to be completely insane, you know, to to you know go down this path. But I think the things that kind of interested me was sort of the sloppiness you know, of like the killing. Like they they, they set out to. to to do the ultimate perfect murder, right? Like we we're gonna do the perfect murder, and it's gonna be great. But they were so bad at it, like notoriously awfully bad. Like I think the, one of the guys left his eyeglasses, you know, at the scene of the crime or something, and it was like, you know, immediately they were busted. It was like there was it wasn't like one of these like, you know, unsolved mysteries, you know, that took so long to figure out. It was like immediately like, hey, I think it was one of these idiots. <laughs> did this. and then so i think that was to me kind of like to me it was just like there was a little bit of a lesson there and like oh god like you know what what gets into people's heads you know that they think this could work but there was also something interesting about the end of uh you know um richard Loeb's life you know he he you know he gets killed in prison one of the guys someone just like richard Loeb did yeah, sorry. Yeah, he does. He gets killed, and then then uh, Leopold actually gets gets out, and then you know, after like you know, thirty some years in jail, and then winds up as like you know, working in a hospital, you know, in in, in Puerto Rico or something. So it's like it's kind of like this weird, like I don't know. It's just a weird story. Like I said, it kind of like it, it, I wrote that you know, probably a few years ago, probably when I was in more of a like a maybe a darker mood or something. But nowadays I'm like, more like, you know, gravitating to the happier sort of stories. One more piece of that that I think is interesting is that if you've ever watched the movie Inherit the Wind, the character of Clarence Darrow is in that arguing on behalf of Scopes, John T. Scopes and the Scopes trial for the right to teach evolution in schools. And... In that film, they sort of, the town, people have a bad taste in their mouth about Clarence Darrow because of his sure. role in the Leopold and Loeb case because he right. kept them, from, he didn't get them off. They, they were obviously they, guilty, but he kept them from getting the death penalty, which allowed right. Nathan Leopold to uh, actually to be paroled. So folks That's who right. are, it's just maybe one of those ideas about the big picture. Yeah. 
right? There's the small yeah, exactly. picture and there's the big picture. Yeah, and it's sort of a, uh, yeah, he was sort of, that was the trial of the century, like the very first trial of the century, one of them. <laughs> there have been so many. But yeah, it's like that he was the, you know, that lawyer, you know, that got the guy, he did his job extremely well and got these guys, he saved their lives. But uh, yeah, it's just a weird story. And then the other story was the Mary Stewart. Right? Mary Campbell. The, uh, Mary Campbell. My bad. I have yeah, the. See, I, I, you're doing it from memory. I have the site in front of me. So. <laughs> but yeah, it's very. This is just a cool story about like a, you know, a girl back in the like you know, you know, seven late 1700s or whatever, early 1700s. I think 17 something, 1758, May 21st. Yes, yeah, she ends up like getting kidnapped on this day in 1758. Exactly. That's right. Kidnapped by Indians and then winds up you know, kind of digging it, you know, she lives this life, you know, among the Indians. And then, you know, you know, I don't know how old she was, 16 or something when uh, she ends up uh, being, you know, handed back over back to, you know, her family. And it's just like this, like, well, it's kind of like that. What a weird story, right? You, you, you grow up, you know, kind of, running around with Indians and then the next thing you know you're you know back in your with your family it's uh, basically the searchers it, without you know <laughs> exactly without John Wayne and the search without the searching yeah but you know apparently she lived on a nice long life and you know acclimated whatever but it's like it's kind of it's just like weird you know I just love thinking about stuff like that like how you you know people make those kinds of adjustments or you know, the, the, and, and those weird kind of, uh, you know, uh, trade-offs that you have in your own in your own life where you're like, well, oh, you know, oh, I'm living this life, but you know what? This is where I really belong or, or what? You know, it's like just interesting, you know, fascinating stuff. So anyway, that's kind of like the stuff I love about Frog Storms. It just, it's, there's just weird, maybe just takes your mind different places. And, like, and in the context of history, to me, things have a little more you know, I don't know, gravitas or something, just because it's like, okay, and I try to be as accurate as I can, but I'll also be very honest that, you know, my research is pretty flimsy. So I'm, I'm actually, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm researching these things in line for coffee, basically. Thank you for giving your attention and intention to this episode of Radio 8 Ball Season 3, The Appening, with our guest, Josh Troy. Please remember to subscribe to Radio 8 Ball in your podcast app, and if you like the show, please help other people find us by rating and reviewing Radio 8 Ball positively. If you tell your synchronicity story, I'll read it on the show. Of course, we encourage you to download the Radio 8 Ball app from the iTunes App Store, and finally, I do hope you'll join our Patreon campaign and follow us backstage for my pop oracle reading where I asked, Will the home remedy work? The Patreon link is in the show notes. We're going to go out with Deb Pasternak's version of my song, Message for the Moon, which she released on her album 11 from the year 2000. And with that, I'm out. Until next time... I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. I can feel the tide rising.